Hello to all current and future shareholders of BitFrontier Capital Holdings, ticker symbol BFCH, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Crypto Submerged. Um, I am delighted today to finally be bringing you uh, the guru of liquid immersion, um, our, our very own Mr. Gary D. Testa, uh, joining us all the way from uh, what I would usually call sunny Florida, but since we're just coming out of the uh, the back end of a hurricane, maybe it's not quite so sunny. But um, Gary, it's a real pleasure to have you on uh, on today. We have uh, thrown your name in a hundred times, threatening to have you on for probably like four weeks now. Uh, and here we are finally, uh, fi finally getting you on the show. So thank, thank you very much for joining us. Well, it's great to be here, Darren. And yeah, we just uh, had a little submersion of our own. We uh, had Hurricane Adalia come through uh, threatening to inundate us, and uh, everybody made it out safe and sound. So we're uh, we're back in business with only one day off, which is great, and uh, happy to be here. Great, uh, dad jokes are more than uh, more than encouraged. By the way, uh, I, I don't I don't have my trusty uh, co-host Andrew Jilton here today, so I, I need you know we're we're all we're all fathers. You and Andrew have a little bit more experience in the father category than I do, but um, <laughs> dad jokes are are definitely welcome. There's plenty of those through the show, so you're welcome to keep keep filling them. Um, listen, Gary. Obviously, uh, we've uh, we we've been talking a lot about. You know our project in in Texas. Um, yeah. we're we're delighted to 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 be working working with you guys on uh, with Engineer Fluids on um, on 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 that site. Um, give us give us a little a, a little update. What I know we've obviously we've had a bunch of stuff going on. We had the hurricane going through Texas, which slows stuff down, and then this coming through coming through your way. Of course, that it, it it always tends to to be the case when you've got a project that you've got a timeline that. <laughs> Mother Nature or something will, will get in the way. So give us a little bit of an update on, on where we're at. Absolutely. So we were, uh, we were successful in getting all the equipment down and delivered into Texas. Right now, we're just waiting for the foundations to be poured. Obviously, with the rain and everything they've been having through Texas, pouring concrete in the rain is not a great idea. <laughs> so uh, we've been waiting for them to finish that. We have all of our team... Uh, ready to go as soon as the foundations are in place. We have the generators being installed, all the power uh, boards and equipment. So it'll be a very smooth transition once we, uh, once we have those foundations locked and loaded. Um, they should be going in, my understanding from based on our project management meeting uh, next week. Uh, and then my team will be getting down there probably the mid part of September. That'll be just following when all the generators, gas generators are in. So we're very excited to, to get that site up and operational. Um, that'll be a, a full uh, 360 miners with overclocking potential, uh, both for Bitmain and for, uh, you know, anything from Antminer, uh, Bitmain and MicroBT. So we'll be able to support both uh, both miners uh, and just about any other kind. We'll have over, I think it's one point, well, let's see, we've got two megawatts down in Texas. So we'll have about one and a half to 1.6 megawatts capacity uh, down there, which is fantastic. So um, it's just a matter of, uh, as you said, any good project experiences Mother Nature and there's really not much we can do about her. Yeah. 
<laughs> Always tends to be the case. Something out with your control when when you're trying to get trying to get stuff done. Um, no, I mean, listen, it's kind of a perfect collision of of two worlds coming together. The 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 hosting capacity on Liquid Origin uh, side, and then and then working with with your team from from Engineered Fluids. Um, and and like I said, we've 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 name dropped, we've 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 mentioned your name at least, and and Engineered Fluids on uh, on the company quite a few times. So I'm sure. Um, and, and I want to say, son, we're, we're up to like we're 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 bordering on a couple of hundred uh, viewers per per uh, per episode now. Right. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's just you know uh, my significant other, Andrew's significant other, you know, all of our different significant others, and probably children watching and rewatching. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Jared, How many kids do you have? I'm aware of a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I I have not put my uh, my daughters uh, through the pain and agony of, of listening to me talk for an hour. Uh, not not about this stuff yet. So they're 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 not they're not part of the couple of hundred that, that I've been watching. But um, it's a great it's a great point for us to to obviously introduce, especially with everything going on in Texas. I think it's a the, the perfect time and. Uh, to, to have you on the show. And the, the point I was kind of getting to is I'm sure that some of our, our, our listeners and viewers probably have an idea who you are and probably have heard your name enough times that they've gone and Googled you and, and done some research. Who's this Gary guy they keep talking about? But um, go, start, start us off. Give us a little bit about, about your background, a little bit of your expertise in, in, in the field of, uh, of liquid immersion and how, how you got into everything. Well, it's, uh, it's kind of a crazy story. I, uh, I spent a good part of my career, the first 25 years, in fact, um, primarily focused on large telecommunications equipment, um, big projects. I spent 10 years in the Soviet Union building one of the largest private telephone networks in the world for Gazprom. Um, and then this is my ninth startup uh, since I came back from Europe. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting path. If somebody had told me I'd be running a, what is primarily a chemical company uh, a few years ago prior to 2017, I would have laughed at him and said, there's no way. Yeah. Um, I got involved in uh, immersion cooling primarily because of a problem that I had with a prior company. We were trying to build voice recognition systems that were fairly complicated. Think of Siri for the network. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the challenges that we ran into was putting uh, some very high powered servers and GPU equipment into basically data center hosting facilities. Now at the time, most data centers could only handle about five KW per rack. And I was trying to put in about 17 KW per device. <laughs> and so they were like looking at me cross-eyed saying, look, it's never going to happen. I said, well, this doesn't make any sense to me. I said, everything's getting smaller. Everything's getting hotter. Everything's getting faster. There has to be a way to increase the cooling potential of equipment in data centers and to do it in a way that doesn't break the bank. Air conditioning um, just required way too much engineering, way too much physical infrastructure. And so I started kind of looking around at what were different potentials, and I was introduced through another friend of mine uh, to Dr. David Sundin, who is now my partner and co-founder at Engineered Fluids. And I'll never forget when David uh, and I met for the first time to talk about liquid immersion, and David had been involved in developing dielectric fluids in the power transformer and uh, power distribution industry for about 35 years. And so he and I got on the phone, we talked a little bit, and he said, well, you got to come down and see me. I have to show you. I have the solution. And I said, great. So I uh, got on a plane, flew to Dallas, drove out to Tyler, Texas, about an hour and 20 minutes, and David and I met. 
And uh, David takes out a mason jar, a clear mason jar full of a clear fluid, and he hands that to me, and he goes, there it is. That's the solution. And I thought, great, we're going to become moonshiners. And he said, no, it's a dielectric coolant. And I said, a dielectric what? <laughs> of course. And I said, I have. And, and so therein started a... Uh, a really interesting process. You know, David had been working in his garage for seven years on developing a, uh, a, a coolant that you could immerse electronics directly in without having to do anything to them. And this is the important part about immersion that most people miss is that it's not hard to make a dielectric fluid. Mineral oil is dielectric. Dielectric simply means it doesn't conduct electricity. Right. A coolant, obviously, is something that transfers heat from one place to another. You know, and that's a that's a big one, right? People seem to think that energy, which is what heat is, it, it has to be moved or transferred. It can't be destroyed. So you can't just drop something into a fluid and expect the fluid to absorb all that heat. The heat has to go somewhere. Right. So, you know, so again, um, a coolant isn't that hard. Um, but coming up with a product that was biodegradable, non-toxic, could be used by the average person. You know, you could put this product in the hands of a high schooler, and if they drank it by mistake, it, it wouldn't be a catastrophe. Right. Um, that was hard. And then to come up on top of all of those things from a health and safety, but come up with something that was materially compatible with all the materials used in electronic devices, that was really um, where David excelled in overcoming a whole series of these challenges. And so when he put that fluid in my hand and said, look, you can take any electronics that I've been able to find and immerse it in this fluid and they'll operate just fine. I thought there's just no way, mm. you know, I, at the time I didn't have a lot of knowledge about immersive cooling or the history. And so I started digging a little bit and it turns out that uh, immersive cooling, uh, particularly liquid immersive cooling, is over 100 years old. The technology isn't new. Hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, the first uh, computer systems and uh, that were being developed by IBM were immersively cooled, typically using off-the-shelf mineral oil or oils. Hmm. Um, and so what David found, though, was that, you know, using these uh, things like PCBs were used for immersive cooling and power transformers. Almost all of these chemicals had pretty heinous effects on the on the user from a health and safety perspective. They required a lot of maintenance uh, in terms of adding um, things to create oxidation stability. So additives, they required nitrogen blankets to remain stable. Um, they had extreme negative effects on certain types of chemicals. So, you know, it, it, as I did more of my own research, I realized that what David was claiming really sounded too good to be true. And so I said, all right, David, I said, now I have an idea. And he goes, I know it, it sounds fantastic, but he goes, here, take this and you go have it tested. So I did. I went to a third party lab and I had David's chemical tested and, the uh, the scientist who I was talking to at the time for the University of Texas said, Gary, look, you know, this is, you know, just doesn't exist. You're asking for something that is uh, 
you know, we've been using mineral oils and they have sulfur and phosphates in them and they create corrosion and they have skin, you know, dermatitis issues and they have issues with evaporation, um, inhalation issues. You know, you can develop significant allergies to this stuff. Um, he goes, so I think he goes, I I'll test it, but I'm just trying to tell you up front um, that I think you're going to find that you've got the same challenges. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, well, let's, let's give it a shot. So about a week later, I called these guys back up to see where we were. And uh, I called, left a message, called, left a message, called, left a message. Um, on the fourth time, I called and I got the guy and the guy said, listen, uh, Gary, we've been, uh, we've been repeating a lot of the tests. That's why I haven't called you back. I wanted to have the final. He goes, uh, we want to know where you got this stuff. And I said, why? He goes, because it's doing almost all the things that you said. And, and not only when I say almost, what I, what I mean is, is it's doing more. <laughs> you know, it's better than what you told us. And I said, great. I said that. He goes, so we want to know where it is and we want to know where you got it. And we want to. And I <laughs> said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll sell you our first batch. <laughs> and I called David back up on the phone that night. And I said, David, let's do it. Let's create engineered fluids. Uh, and that's really the genesis story. Engineered fluids started uh, because one man, Dr. David Sundin, sat in his garage for seven years, uh, mixing stuff and putting it under pressure and running electrical current through it. Um, and and it, he's kind of the unsung hero. My, my expertise was really in how do we package this as a product? And then how do we speak to systems engineers who want to use a fluid. I mean, you're talking to electrical yeah. engineers and mechanical engineers who really don't have at the time a real good understanding of what you could do with liquid coolants. And then at the same time, of course, we had 3M at that time running around telling everybody how great Novec was and two-phase cooling mm -hmm. without really mentioning the health and safety issues of PFOAs. Right. And David, was very aware of that from day one. As a matter of fact, that came up in our very first or second conversation. He said, look, he goes, Novec, Florinert, you know, 3M has got solvents that are non-conductive and they uh, are easily evaporated. They, they can perform in two-phase cooling, he said, but at the end of the day, he goes, the real challenge is, is the health and safety issues. Mm -hmm. And, and now, interestingly enough, of course, 3M has announced that they're exiting the business uh, as of 2023. They're no longer going to be manufacturing PFOA-based uh, materials. They have a $10-plus billion lawsuit um, that they've lost in Europe uh, related to the manufacture of PFOAs. And so, you know, two-phase cooling is really um, a thing of the past. If you're, if you're at all focused on the health and safety of your employees, two phases is not the way to go. It's also a lot more complicated. Two phase simply means that the coolant transitions from a liquid to a gas mm -hmm. during the cooling process. Single phase liquid immersion, which is what engineered fluid specializes in and what all of our products are focused on. The single phase has nothing to do with electricity. That's a big misunderstanding we get a lot of times. People are like, I can't use it in the three phase uh, environment? Right. The answer is absolutely not. Right. Our products are used in single phase electrical applications, three phase, 
direct current, alternating current, all the way up to 60,000 plus volts. Um, single phase means that our fluids remain a fluid during the whole cooling process. And, right. and why is that important? It's important because our products don't evaporate during normal usage. They don't, you know, leave the tank and go into the air that you're breathing. Hmm. Whereas with a two-phase coolant, if you were to open that tank up, all of those gases, all of those fumes that are in there, as part of the process um, of cooling, yeah. are released into the atmosphere. And now, where do they go? Well, the first place they go is into your lungs. <laughs> and for a product that creates more than 30 different kinds of cancer, that's the last thing you want in your body. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, so David and I were, were made a determination early on. We were going to focus only on single phase liquid immersion coolants. And, and that is really um, where all of our development and focus comes. Our, our focus on the development of tanks for liquid immersion came from the fact that you can't be Starbucks if you don't have a cup. <laughs> right? I, I can't pour my fluid into your hand and say, here, Darren, go take that. Um, and that was really one of the biggest issues that we ran into is that there really were no tank manufacturers and system manufacturers that understood the basics of liquid immersion. So right. I sat down with our engineering team and uh, this was an area I had some good understanding of in terms of mechanical engineering because of my background. And we started designing and testing single immersion tanks. And we actually wrote an 80-page presentation. It's still available on our website today, um, which was really the manifesto, if you will, about how to design single-phase liquid immersion coolants. And you know, I'm proud to say that e even our competitors will come up to me um, in the tank business and shake my hands and say, Gary, we used your design, you know, <laughs> as the original. And I think it's great because ultimately um, our interest is to remain focused on developing high performance coolants. And mm -hmm. I would love nothing more for us to have a, a large number of OEM players out there right. uh, doing all different kinds of things. So mm -hmm. we're... Uh, you know, we're excited. Today, we're, we're in about 80 different countries. We have over 3 million devices immersed in our coolants globally. Um, a great portion of that, of course, is in the crypto space. Mm -hmm. But we do a lot in the battery charging space, lithium-ion batteries, electric vehicles, marine, be uh, marine vehicles, uh, subsea. We do a lot in the remote ROV and submarine space. Uh, also, the undersea exploration for oil and gas uses a lot of our products. Um, aeronautics. Um, we cool lasers at CERN. We cool batteries for the Navy. Um, there's a wide number of applications uh, for our coolants. But of course, one of our favorite and the thing that really kicked off the company was immersing crypto miners and improving their productivity and dramatically increasing their reliability. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting hearing. I, I love, I love hearing people's stories of, of how they got to where, to where they've been. And, and you, you and I have shared a beer and, and, uh, and ate some alligator tail, alligator tail. <laughs> we, we've, we've talked about how we got to where, where we are. And I still have a long way to get to, to your level of, uh, of expertise in this field and, and certainly experience. But, um, I, I never heard that story before. That's, that's such a cool story. And, and, and you know, it, there's a lot to be said about, um, the environmental the, the environmental impact of 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 what the the coolant is that 
um, that you produced. I, I had pictures. I had pictures of Doctor Sunday with a with a witch hat on in his in his basement, stirring a, a cauldron. When you, well, we had some great pictures of David in in these big giant goggles and this crazy looking hat and a white lab coat, um, going at it. You know, and, and really, uh, he's an amazing guy because he's very unassuming. Most people. Um, don't realize that he actually uh, was responsible and held the patents for a number of commonly uh, used heat transfer dielectric fluids. He's the go-to guy in the high-power transformer industry for transformer cooling. We still get calls on a regular basis from transformer manufacturers who want David's expertise on solving problems related to oxidation stability. Um, one of the things that we manufacture that is a, a very niche product for us, but a very important one is David uh, has developed a, um, an additive that is used in high power transformers to reverse the damage created by sulfur. Mm. And so, you know, that, that sulfur oxidation problem uh, becomes quite dangerous in high power trans, uh, transformers and in the power business. So we have a lot of power utilities who utilize uh, our volt cool additive uh, for stabilizing their very high power transformers. It's not viable for using in mineral oil in, in the case of say a server or something like that. Like if you're attempting to use, you know, the castrol product or the shell product, it's not gonna save you from the ravages of phosphate and sulfur in those environments, simply because the additive itself um, is is quite um, toxic isn't the right word, but is quite reactive. And mm -hmm. the thin copper materials and other types of materials that you'll find on servers and crypto miners um, just can't stand up to that. You know, you've got very thick uh, copper materials inside power transformers, windings, things like that. And so David was uh, key in developing this as a way to both extend the life of existing transformers um, as well as providing a higher level of stability. So his expertise in this field is, you know, really second to none. Um, and he really is the the brains behind the marketing aspect of what we do at Engineered Fluids. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, we You touched a little bit on some of the, the, the various industries that um, – um, that liquid immersion technology is, is being used in particular uh, or your specific uh, uh, coolant. Um, and I think we'll, we'll come back to that. I think it's a, there's some great uh, more depth to, to dive into there with, with regards to um, how it's been utilized across those different industries and, and various different applications. But I want, I want to get, I want to get right into um, liquid immersion technology um, specifically to, to crypto space, sure. um, but, but maybe more, <laughs> You, you, you've come across the challenges. We, we come across the challenge all the time when uh, a customer wants to host with us and um, they, they can find an air-cooled uh, situation that on paper typically looks a lot cheaper, certainly from a, just a, um, a, a base number point. But there's a lot more that goes into it than, than, than just that. So kick, kick us off with what exactly is liquid immersion technology in the crypto space um, and how does it differ from traditional cooling methods? Sure, absolutely. So um, first and foremost, you have to understand that the basics for all electrical device design comes down to two things, input and output. 
the input of any device like a crypto miner, a server, anything electrical, electric motors, um, they, they basically have one input, which is electricity. And in the case of an electrical motor, there are two outputs. One of them is kinetic energy. In other words, the motor is actually turning. So some of that energy that is going into the motor is being used to drive that motor and turn the shaft, which then creates work that can be used to say, spin a fan, turn a pump, all of those types of things. But the other thing that comes out of that pump is heat because no process of transitioning between any two states of energy is 100% efficient. Now, in the case of a server or a crypto miner, it becomes even more interesting because the amount of energy that you put into them and the amount of heat energy that comes out of them, except for the fans that are spinning on that device, are a one-to-one. Keep in mind that energy can't be destroyed. It can only be transferred. It can only be moved from one either object or material uh, to another. So air cooling is really nothing more than the transfer of the waste heat created through the transfer of energy inside the server, right? You're making it do something. Once it's done doing it, whatever is left energy-wise exits as heat. And up until, you know, a few years ago, exiting that heat into the air was, was basically the most efficient, cheapest method. Well, there's a couple of things that have been happening in electronics um, and everyone sees it all the time, which is if you were uh, if you had as much gray hair as I did and you used the first cell phones, they were bricks. They were, you know, the size of three milk cartons put together and they radiated a huge amount of heat. Yeah. Well, now we have, you know, computers effectively that are significantly more powerful uh, and they can go in your hand. So they have gotten smaller. Well, as things get smaller, their surface area shrinks. And so then as they get smaller, it's harder to lose that heat. So you either have to be more efficient at using energy, right? You have to reduce that thermal output, or you have to get better at removing the heat. And ultimately, the limit of all performance measures for all electronics comes down to how quickly can I get rid of the excess heat? In other words, Thermal management is the limiting factor in all modern electronics. And this is very true uh, in the crypto mining industry. And anyone who has operated a crypto miner knows that they are very good at one thing. (laughs) They generate a huge amount of heat. Yes, they do. (laughs) Right. So the the challenge with crypto miners, when we when we first started the company, we were uh, looking for different applications. And one of the things that came up in a conversation with a good friend of mine um, was, hey, you know, my my crypto miners are failing uh, pretty often. They get they get a lot of junk in them. You know, the fans put a lot of dust and dirt in them um, and then they fail. And I said, well, when they when you say they fail, they go, yeah, they just stop working. And I said, oh, and this was back when we were looking at S9s, right? This is early in the process. Yeah. And I said, well, why don't you send me one or two and we'll we'll look at them. I said, do you know why they're failing? And he said, well, I don't think they're getting enough cooling. Hmm. He goes, I said, really? He goes, yeah, I got to call. I got to I got to scrape off all this dust and garbage and stuff that goes on. I said, well, what about just putting big filters 
on the uh, in in the building or something. And he goes, well, we do that. He goes, but it takes a huge amount of energy to suck all this air through the filter. Yeah. And then we still have to clean them. Um, and they make a, a huge amount of noise, too. And I thought, you know, this sounds more and more like some of the problems that we're trying to solve in the data center industry. Mm-hmm. Noise, power efficiency. I said, uh, I said, you have one of these devices that works? And he goes, yeah. I said, well, send me one. And so that night, we, uh, David and I got together and uh, we took a, uh, basically a polycarbonate tub I, I remember because I used to keep my wetsuits in it <laughs> after I was finished surfing. So it was the only container, plastic container I could find yeah. that was big enough to hold this S9 miner. <laughs> and I, uh, we put the miner in there. We left the fans going and we turned it on and it fired right up. And lo and behold, we, we started watching the temperature of the fluid rise. And I said, oh, my God, this thing's like a heater. Yeah. Um, and that was really the first time that we um, had tested a crypto miner. Now, we knew it was going to work. Why? Because we'd already done a lot of, of, of servers. Um, but servers were much lower power. I mean, a server at that time on a, on a really high performance one maybe had 500 watts of, of thermal output. Right. You know, back in 2017. Mm. Um you know, your, your average server. But this device was 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 throwing off 1,500 watts. I mean, this was like a hairdryer. Yeah. Um, and so we, we started to test against that. And then what really changed everything is when my buddy came back and said, Gary, you know, we can make these things run faster. Hmm. And I said, really? I, I go, why, what, why wouldn't you do that? He goes, well, because they burn up. Yeah. I said, well, that's something I can solve. And I said, this is the classic quandary, which is thermal management. I have a device that's capable of much higher performance, but we simply can't remove the heat fast enough with air. Yeah. Right. And the challenge is related to air. So that was the the birth of, of submerged or immersed crypto mining. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we work closely with a number of large deployments. Um, very successful, uh, you know, in that. Um, which was fantastic. We we saw the success there. We started to grow that business quite rapidly. And and the big opportunity for crypto mining and immersion came in in really three big areas. The first one was obviously the increase in performance. Mm-hmm. You know, back when miners were very expensive, immersion was a very inexpensive way to get more performance without having to risk paying. You know a whole host of people that were unreliable in delivering miners. You know, again, it's not like today where I can go to BitFrontier and I know when I send Darren my money, I'm going to get my miners back. We we buy lots of miners from you. Right. Um, you know, so in that area, the business has matured. But the other thing was, is the dramatic increase in the availability to change uh, the performance of the miner rapidly. In other words, to take advantage when power was inexpensive and ramp that up and down. Mm-hmm. The other one, though, was one that we um, weren't really expecting, at least in the crypto miner industry, but we'd, again, we'd already seen with servers, which is the dramatic increase in reliability. Mm-hmm. And I think today, this is the one thing between air cooling and immersive cooling that people really don't understand is that if you walk into almost any air-cooled mining establishment, 20% of those miners aren't hashing. Right. 
they're just in error state. They're overheated. They've got gunk in them. You got to clean all that out. You've got to reboot them. And what we found was that when you did a much better job of thermally managing those miners, you eliminated all the resets. You remit, you uh, eliminated having to retrain the miner to the pool. In mm-hmm. other words, you were getting a significantly greater amount of time hashing at your maximum opportunity. And that difference, that 20 to 30% difference is what we see day in, day out. In terms of reliable hashing, that's worth, you know, literally to large miners, some of our largest customers, that is literally worth billions. Correct. Because they've done two things. They've decreased the amount of effort to operate the miner. They've decreased the headcount needed, the cleaning, the maintenance, the rebooting, the retraining, all of those things take people in time. But on top of that, they're able to operate at their peak performance levels without having to worry about them day to day, meaning that you can deploy a larger number of miners in a far more thermally stable environment and reap a much faster reward in terms of your payback. And that's really the the overall benefit of liquid immersion cooling. Um, I mean, this is really where we see the advantage in hosting. Why would I wanna go into an air-cooled environment where I may not get the hash rate? I may get the hash rate, but I'm not gonna get the consistency of hashing that I will in immersion. This is why when you look at all of the largest miners around the world, they're all moving rapidly to liquid immersion. And they're doing that because of that reliability increase, because of that increase in hash time. And when you factor that in, when you add 30% hash time, there's no way air cooling comes close. I mean, air cooling looks cheap until you don't get the hash, Right. right? Everything, it's always easy to look cheap. It's another thing to have to perform in order to actually get a payback. And uh, in most business models I see in the air-cooled space, they don't ever mention the fact that the the unit's not hashing 20% of the time. Right. Anybody who's got any real experience will validate that that number is probably conservative. It's probably more like 30%. But in a business model, if you're conservative and you're still making more money, that's a great place to be. Right. Right. Um, it, it, it would seem that, you know, as the, as the curve goes towards moving away from uh, traditional air cooled methods in the, uh, in the ASIC world, it, it's that, that movement has already begun to happen in the, in the, the data hosting center. Can you talk a little bit about that transition in the, uh, yeah. in the, the server world? So, um, in, in, so there's two big differences between what we find in the crypto mining space and what we find in the traditional um, data center space. It, you have to remember that in the data center space, they're constantly seeing great growth, right? No one's asking for slower internet. No one wants a slower iPhone. Nobody wants uh, any less Netflix. So they're seeing great, tremendous growth across their business. So when you bring a new technology like liquid immersion to them, their first gut reaction is to say, well, why would I want, I'm already growing fast enough. Why would I want to take a risk? And in the early days, that was hard to overcome. Why would you want to take the risk? Well, AI, uh, GPUs, uh, FPGAs, and 3000 watt servers have changed all that. Now it's no longer possible 
physically possible to cool these high performance devices with air. You simply can't move enough air past them fast enough to cool them. Combined with the fact that the actual temperature has to be relatively low. You're talking about data centers operating with internal air temperatures of about 70 degrees Fahrenheit, right? This is, you know, in the mid 20s Celsius. So now you've got to look at the other thing that most people don't know about data centers. Data centers are one of the largest wasters of potable water in the world. <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, they use something called evaporative cooling, right? In order to get the temperature down that low, those air conditioners, particularly in areas that have high outdoor ambient temperatures, have to use water towers, have to use what are called adiabatic coolers. These are all cooling methods that utilize millions, hundreds of millions of gallons of water. So now there are communities like Phoenix, you know, that has a large number of data centers that are seeing literally hundreds of thousands of gallons a day of drinkable water be wasted through evaporative cooling. Um, the Netherlands has basically said, you can't use evaporative cooling anymore. We're not going to allow you to do that. And the reason that they have to use potable water instead of a lot of retreated water and things like that, is that if you use water that has high particulate matter in it, it fouls the cooling fins of the device you're using. Mm -hmm. Now, the advantage that you get, again, in single-phase liquid immersion cooling is a very high exit temperature. In the crypto space, the fluid exits the, temp, uh, the tank at 60 degrees Celsius, which is great means that we get a big delta T or change in temperature between the fluid and the outdoor ambient air. So in most environments, we can use standard, what are called dry coolers. They're just big radiators and they have fans on them and they move the air through. But what's interesting is that in many locations, including our customers down in Texas, for most of the year and in the evening, they can turn that fan off because the heat generated by the coils inside the dry cooler generates enough convective force that it sucks the air through them. In other words, that hot air is rising. And so again, we get a huge savings. So typically in the data center world, they're struggling with how do we deal with, you know, how are we looking now at how are we gonna meet these water requirements? If we can't use water, how are we gonna cool things? We can't use traditional um, air cooling, can't use traditional air conditioning. So what do they do? They move to free cooling. I love this term, free cooling. Free cooling is free as long as you can move the data center up into the clouds where it's cold or up into the Arctic. Well, it's free until you got to build the infrastructure of power, internet, labor, and all those other things to get that into a location where free cooling is available. Right. Well, I can tell you right now, you're not getting free cooling in Texas or Florida <laughs> or just about anywhere in the southern half of the United States these days. Yeah. The other thing, of course, is, is where do we see the highest potential growth for data centers? Well, it's not up in the Arctic. There aren't a lot of people up there. <laughs> you know, you want to bring your data center and your data processing close to your customer. So that means 
is you got to bring it to where the people are. Well, I got news for you. The vast majority of the population of the earth are in places like Africa, hmm. you know, Asia. And a lot of those locations are all down close to the equator. So, and now whether or not you believe that global warming is a natural change in the earth's environment or humans had a big impact on the creation of it is completely irrelevant from the perspective of there is no arguing that our environment is getting hotter, mm -hmm. which means that cooling things becomes even more difficult. Yeah. So we kind of have this perfect storm. We have an environment that we live in that's getting hotter. We're trying to cool more and more small, hot chips. And at the end of the day, air cooling is expensive. It's high maintenance. Um, it's not as high performance. And it uses a huge amount of its own energy to cool. There's a, a measure called power utilization effectiveness. And this is a simple ratio of the amount of energy it takes to operate a device and then the extra energy that is required in its environment to keep it operating. Well, what's the biggest parasitic load? That's the biggest extra cost, it's cooling. And in most data centers, 40% of that energy in the data center is being used to cool. In Saudi Arabia with customers that we have with our joint venture, over almost an equal amount of energy that runs the servers is required to cool. Hmm. So what we're seeing is, is that the data center crowd who are very, very conservative, right? I mean, listen, I come from that background. I have a tremendous amount of respect for those guys. They're very conservative. They have a very high level of reliability that they have to meet for their customers. Hmm. And they have a lot of knowledge about how to do it today. And when you ask someone, hey, take that, park it, and try something new, that's very hard for people to do. Yeah. So this is why the crypto mining crowd was so great, because they didn't have the burden of all of those requirements and specifications and performance. They were, they were operating these devices for themselves. Yeah. So they were willing to take the risk. And, and it was through that process that really we were able to prove to the data center folks, you know, who for a long time basically poo-pooed the, the crypto world saying, those aren't data centers. Those guys are operating in like warehouses with dirt on the floor. Well, and I would be sitting there looking at them and saying, you're right. I have customers who have dirt floored warehouses operating devices that are eight times hotter than your hottest server right? and doing so without using any water. And they were like, what are you talking about, Gary? That's, that's just not possible. I said, not just, not just not using any water. What if I told you that their devices were four times more reliable, that their mean time between failure increased? You know, basically we saw, or I should say, so we saw a decrease in the mean time between failure, mm -hmm. right? The number where we were seeing only a quarter as many failures in the same time period. So again, the impacts of cooling can't be overstressed. There is only one thing, that limiting gate comes down to those two things, how much energy you put in and how much energy you come out. And for electronics, the mass, the, the, the you know, basically the, largest amount of energy exiting the system is exiting as thermal waste heat. 
Which brings us to another question. Why should we be evacuating all this heat into the air? It's energy. It's hot fluid. So now, particularly with our customers in Europe Mm -hmm. and a few customers here in the United States, what we're seeing is, is liquid immersion offers the opportunity to use every watt twice. Yeah. At a minimum. The, 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 re, the repurposing of, of heat has become a, a, an increasingly um, positive spin and subject re, uh, regarding liquid immersion cooling technology. What, what experiences do you have with, uh, with various different projects? I, I know we've talked about it and we actually, we, we brought up a couple uh, when we did our, our mini liquid immersion podcast and, and that got the most bites and people started sharing some different uh, ways that other people they'd heard of or they'd known. So g- give it, give us some of your examples. I think that well, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a funny story. That was our first experience with reusing uh, heat from, uh, mining equipment that had been immersed. So I had a friend of a friend down in Southern California, a guy I used to surf a lot with. He calls me up. He goes, uh, Gary, I was watching. I was I was watching some of the videos that you had posted, and uh, and I had a question for you. He goes, I, I, I'm working with a friend of mine. We're building a fish farm. And I said, okay. And, it, and I said, uh, where is this? He goes, it's it's out in uh, Temecula, which is outside of San Diego. I said, great. great. I said, what are you growing? He goes, we're growing tilapia. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. I don't know anything about tilapia growing um, or fish farming for that matter. I said, so how can I help you? He goes, well, our single biggest cost from October to May is heating the fish ponds. <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, yeah, you got to keep these fish at 80 degree Fahrenheit water because that's when they grow the fastest and they multiply faster. He goes, so we actually have these big, basically they look like swimming pools uh, full of fish and we heat the water. I said, really? He goes, yeah, then we circulate the water, you know, because the fish go to the bathroom in the water, the fish poo, as he called it. Uh, And then we take that water out and we put it into a lettuce grow. I said, you do what? He goes, yeah, we take the water and we water the lettuce that we're growing in our greenhouses with it. He goes, the lettuce grows faster because of all the fertilizer from the fish poo. And we have to feed the fish and keep them warm. Right. I said, really? He goes, he goes, but but I have an idea that I that we've been is we're looking for a cheaper way to heat the fish ponds. I said, well, what about a free way? And he said, what are you talking about? Free. I said, look, we'll build you some mining tanks. We'll put some miners in it. The miners will generate heat and Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Okay. The Bitcoin generated will offset the power costs plus a profit. Mm -hmm. We'll use the heat from the miners to heat your fish pond. Then your fish pond, you can pump the water in and make the lettuce grow. I said, but here's what we'll do. In addition to heating the water, we'll use some miners and we'll heat the dirt Mm. that the lettuce is in. And he said, wait a second. He goes, you mean we can actually warm? They said, because you think about it. I said, if we warm the dirt, my guess is, is that the roots is where all the nutrients come for these plants. So not only will they be getting high energy fish laden fish poo water, by warming the dirt, will warm the plant. The plant will basically be able to absorb more. Wow. 
So we did. We tried. That was our first experiment in heat reuse, and it went gangbusters. These guys loved it. So really? we built, um, I think we built 20 tanks for them, each holding about six S9 miners, and each of those acted as a 10,000-watt heater. Wow. And they generated enough Bitcoin where they said, you know, this fish stuff is great, but Bitcoin mining is better, Gary. How do we build bigger Bitcoin mines? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you build, yeah. build a bigger fish uh, fish pond, too. Exactly. <laughs> so from there, we uh, we have customers now that sell only heat. We have partners in Switzerland who sell heat to ski resorts. Mm-hmm. They use it to heat the pool, heat the resort. Um you know, pre-warm water that's going to go through the boiler. We have customers that are breweries that are using miners to heat the water and preheat the water that's used in the brewing industry. We have customers up in Sweden who heat their entire sidewalk and their driveways. We have a town that heats all of their sidewalks. Um, We have customers that are selling heat back to centralized Uh, heat facilities all throughout Europe. Now, heat reuse in the U.S. is not where it should be. We are losing a massive opportunity by not using every watt twice. And so a lot of the projects that we're involved in now in crypto are really focused on what can we do to reuse the heat, like our our project in Texas. You know, we've been talking to some people that have um, containerized uh, greenhouses. In other words, they're growing food hydroponically. So I've been talking to them about, can we take one of your containers and park it next to our immersion container? And we'll use the heat from the mining to, again, to duplicate that success we had in warming the plant. So there are um, a huge number of opportunities. If you go on the internet and you go to YouTube, you'll see guys and gals that have built mining containers using immersion and they're heating their pools with it. Right. So I'm yeah. going to give you a tip on this. <laughs> if you are going to heat your pool using miners, you have to think about two things. The first thing you must think about is what do I do when I don't want my pool any hotter? <laughs> right. This yeah. is, we, we get this a lot. The guy calls us back. You know, my pool was 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Now it's 98. It keeps getting hotter. It's a jacuzzi. So you have to think about the fact that you need a system that can move the heating away from the pool and give it a chance to cool down, right? Because yeah. the optimal temperature, at least here in Florida, is about you know 86 to 89 degrees is where the, the pool is the most comfortable. You don't want a 98-degree pool. Right. Second right. thing you must think about is that you are moving water with chlorine <laughs> in it, and chlorine reacts is a highly reactive element and it will react and corrode stainless steel quite easily, which is why most heat exchangers that are involved in pool heating and even pool cooling um, are actually made out of titanium. So if you're thinking about um, doing heat reuse, call us, mm-hmm. let us help you. Don't make the mistake of going out and spending a lot of money to build a system only to have it rust out or corrode out um, in a matter of months. There are some easy tricks um, that we can help you with in addition to designing the system, but how to control it and things like that. And it's the same type of process that we see with liquid immersion. Most people think, oh, I'm just going to go out and build a crypto tank. Yeah, Gary published a document. I see his pictures. I can't tell you how many people, uh, 
you know, we, we, they call us up. Oh, I built a tank. It looks just like yours. <laughs> looks and like I'm yours. always like, listen, that's great. Um, the reality is, is that designing tanks that are efficient are a lot more difficult than people give it credit for. That's why mm-hmm. we started doing it because I got tired of seeing people fail at it. Mm-hmm. Um, just duplicating the exterior design of a crypto tank does not guarantee that your crypto tank works. Yeah. One of the things you'll see is there's a lot inside our tank that we never show photos of, mm-hmm. right? Because we've spent a huge amount of analysis, research, um, computational analysis like CFD in looking at the way to properly ensure that that fluid flows evenly up through the devices and cools them. Yeah. So don't be fooled by someone who says, oh, yeah, you know, we 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 welded this up in the back of my shop it'll work fine yeah you know yeah. A, you have to give it a little more credit for uh what it you know the challenge that you face in moving this much heat correct and, and i think it's one of the nuances of uh of, of the technology is that the the engineer and specifically of the tanks like you're talking about um is is fairly specific and that's why we're so we're so fortunate to have your team on on our side with uh with these projects because i've 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 heard and seen um some some unfortunate stories of of people trying to do this you know on their own or with engineers that don't know the specifics to go into uh, building a tank like this um so we're we're going we're going to we're going to take a short break in a little second. I'll ask you one one more question before we get there, and then we're gonna we're gonna talk about the systems. You won't give away all of your secrets, obviously, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll dive into um, what it takes and, and how that system uh, works uh, without without giving away the the, the golden secrets. But um, one 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 thought or question I had just as as we were talking, Gary, um, we're seeing more and more people. St- starting to move towards um, the idea of liquid immersion technology in, in the crypto space. What do you think are some of the, the things that are holding back the technology from surpassing air-cooled, uh, air-cooled uh, uh, cooling? Because, you know, listening to you talk and knowing what we know, and we're obviously huge advocates for, for this technology, um, it, it seems to make sense. But what do you think is holding the, the industry back from really driving in that direction? Well, I think there's uh, two Two things that you have to think about. The first is, is that if you're an industrial miner, you've already made the switch to immersion. You know, most of our customers, you you won't hear me name our customers. Why? Because they don't want to be talked about. Yeah. They don't want people to know that they've already made that switch. If you go out and look at the largest industrial sites for mining being built today anywhere in the world, you're not going to find any air-cooled sites. Correct. It's just not, they're not there anymore. Mm -hmm. Why? They can't get the performance. They can't get the cooling, air conditioning, maintenance, all the things that we've already talked about there. So the question really isn't, is there something holding it back? What's holding it back is the perception of the medium and smaller miner that they don't have access to immersion. Right. I mean, one of the reasons that we have such a great partnership, um, you know, with you and Andrew and BitFrontier and Liquid Immersion worldwide is is quite simply that for the customers who can't afford to build their own full liquid immersion facility, we needed a, a global capable partner that we could work together to build these facilities so that smaller miners, retail miners, 
you know, folks with 100, 200 miners had a place to go where they didn't need to invest in a very large system. You know, in the early days, we had a lot of people building small systems. We don't see that in the market anymore. Now what we see is that those people that call us and say, hey, Gary, we really want to be involved in liquid immersion, um, but I only have, say, um, you know, five miners. We have systems that do that. (laughs) And those systems are for people that are doing heat reuse at their home or at their business. But if you've only got five miners, a much better option is to go to a, a, a liquid immersion hosting partner. You know, go to somebody like BitFrontier host, uh, Holdings. Why? Because they've partnered with us. They've made that investment to have an expertly run hosting facility for liquid immersion. It takes all of the burden off of the customer, off the end user. Now you can bring your miner to a facility that was designed specifically for hosted immersion. It's operated by people that understand how to do it well. You're not guessing, you're not having to learn, you know, all those things yourself, but you get all the benefits of liquid immersion. You get the reliability, the increase in hash rate, you know, those key things. So I think what's happened in, in the crypto space is kind of a, a funny thing. And, and it's funny because we see it in the electric vehicle space. We see it in the battery cooling space. I see it in the electric motor, the high performance electric motor racing space. Customers don't want us telling everybody that they're working with us. We're kind of like the secret sauce that provides the competitive advantage to them. Yeah. You know, and and listen, it's uh, is it a great place to be? Well, yeah, because we've got great customers and they're growing. Would I love to be able to tell everybody about them? Absolutely. But, you know, given the NDAs and things that we have to sign today, I'm, I, I can't do that. So being able to, to talk about a customer, you know, like BitFrontier Holdings and Liquid Immersion Worldwide is great for us because it gives our customers a place to go. Mm-hmm. And I know that if you're a small miner and you're not doing heat reuse, Liquid Immersion Hosting is the way to go. It's the best way. It's good for me because... We're building large facilities together around the world to support this. And it's good for the customer because it really removes a huge burden technically. On the other hand, we have very large customers. Uh, And when I say very large, megawatt plus, two megawatt, 10 megawatt. I think our biggest project we're working on right now is 78 megawatts Mm. um, in some very, very difficult places um, where They've got enough financial wherewithal and expertise. They've already been through the liquid immersion in the early stages to build out their own facilities. But having a trusted immersion partner who can host your miner, there really is nothing better than that. And anyone who would put a miner in an air-cooled establishment these days, in my mind, is really doing themselves a disservice. When the having comes, you might as well just take that, that, that device and throw it away because you won't be able to keep up with the people that are doing liquid immersion. They're just going to keep turning up the hash rate on those existing devices. Exactly. Yeah. We don't, we don't want to confuse it. We're, we're more than happy to, to bring on huge institutional level uh, customers and, and build a, a full, a full custom built uh, liquid immersion site, but a, a big part of, of the, the drive I know in terms of, <clears throat> 
Andrew's vision and, and, and your vision coming together is to, is to make this more accessible for the smaller retail client. And yeah. our goal uh, with, with these, with these various sites that, that we're building is, is to do exactly that. So. Well, um, and Darren, as you know, the, the best part about some of these large projects that we're involved in is that given the expertise that we've developed together in the hosting side for the smaller customers, we have the ability to execute and operate these very large facilities for these customers. So even though they own the facility, you know, Bit Frontier Holding, Liquid Immersion Worldwide, and Engineered Fluids are doing the operations for them. Right. So we're building the facility, we're finding the locations. They own the facility, but we're actually doing the full operations for them. Right. You know, and and that's been a very successful business model, both for our customers and ourselves, because we're all able to bring together the financial and investment capabilities of Bit Frontier together with our expertise in engineering and 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 build out. And the customers then know that when we're done, not only are they going to get a facility that's built to the highest standards, they're going to get a facility that's run by people that know what they're doing. Yeah. There's no guesswork involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gary, we're, we're coming rapidly towards the, the end of the, the first part. We still have a whole, a whole other um, uh, part of this podcast to go through and really talking about the systems and what we're doing and, and, and uh, the upgrading of miners, all, all of the nuances um, regarding the, the crypto space and, and sharing some of that information. But we'll, we'll, we'll take a short break. This will probably be the end of uh, podcast uh, number one with, with Gary, but um, awesome stuff. I'm, I'm certain that everyone that's listened to this part will, will return for part two and we'll probably pick a, pick up a couple uh, extra viewers and listeners, I'm sure, um, after, after this one goes out. So thank you again for the first part. Let's take a short break and we'll be back with part two. Great. Thanks, Darren.